Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay, and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply. Mary! What? Where's me top? Wherever you left them. Uh, did you see me flip-flops? Ah, uh, here. Make your next holiday fuss-free with an Avantcard personal loan. With personalized pricing that's made for you, at least there's one less thing to worry about. Find out more at avantcard.ie. Oh, have you seen me snorkel? Lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. Avancard DAC Trading's Avancard is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. We're here because we're proud to be Jets. So we wear the logo and the colour with pride. We're here because we're confident. Not cocky. We're confident. We know what we're, we know what we're capable of doing. Right? And we know where we're going. We know who wears all those traits on his sleeve for everyone to see every single day. The message to you know to the rest of the league is, hey, the the the, uh, the Jets are coming, and we're going to give you everything we got, and, and that's going to be, I, I think, more than you can handle. Good evening, Jets Nation, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Jets. This is your host Tyson Roush, and hopefully everybody had a great holiday, Christmas, Hanukkah, and everything else. And obviously, there's a lot to talk about tonight. I mean, the Jets had a big win over the Dolphins, but obviously. That is not a big deal because we got bigger news, which is John Isaac being fired, Rex Ryan being fired, and a pretty comprehensive search going on right now, which is, to be honest, impressive. So with that being said, we have, we have a special guest calling in tonight. We have Christian Dyer calling in from Metro New York. Um, Chris, Christian uh, writes for Yahoo. He also writes for CBS Sports New York. He's going to be joining us discussing everything Jets. I mean, where do we go from here? You have, do you want a proven, uh, proven head coach? Do you want a proven general manager? I mean, do you have any faith in Woody Johnson? There's a lot to really try to figure out. But I guess I'll start with this. The most important thing is that it seems with Charlie Castle in place and Ron Wolf in place, the Jets seem to be in good hands because these are both proven general managers with a proven NFL resume. The biggest concern in the past was Woody Johnson, how he went about his business, hiring a firm to help him out. You wasn't really, weren't really sure who he was using to you know, make his decisions, his football decisions. So now you have good, two legitimate guys in place, and based on all the information that came out today, which I'm sure Christian's going to touch on, there's a, there's a comprehensive list of proven guys, some guys that are, you know, fairly new to the circuit, some guys that have been around a while. So it's pretty exciting times. But with that being said, we'll get a call run line before we bring on Christian, and this is Seth from Brooklyn. Seth, this is Tyson. Let's talk Jets. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for taking my call. No problem. I guess you want to talk about the current GM search? Yeah, um, actually, my yeah. Um, I just want to first uh, commend Woody Johnson for taking the actions that he took on uh, Monday. I did not think that he was going to clean house. I did not think he had it in him, though I was obviously openly rooting for that to occur. I've said that many times on the show. Um, but now we're in the midst of probably the most essential GM and coaching hires that Mr. Johnson's going to have to make within the 15 years of his tenure 
as the owner of the New York Jets. And I, I think personally, ideally, for the general manager, I want a young, up-and-coming general manager because very rare do you see a retread general manager happen in the NFL, and very rarely when that occurs does it work. Um, so I'm glad to see that the multitude of names, the majority of them right now, are young, young and up-and-comers. And for the head coach, um, I understand that well, they actually, have to do Well, actually, actually, I'm going to cut you off, but just in terms of talking about a general manager, a young general manager, I mean, a name that came up was like Eric DaCosta. Are you talking about a guy like that or the, the, the gentleman from Seattle? Are you looking for like young that way or are you looking for somebody like, I mean, these guys are all established personnel guys. Are you looking for, like, I, I, a, you know, like young, what kind of, what, young, you're saying um, young, kind of define young. By young, I mean someone who has obviously has experience in the personnel department but has not been a general manager yet. And regarding DaCosta, I think that's a pipe dream. I think – uh, people need to lower their expectations. He's not leaving. He's going to be he's the heir apparent to Ozzie Newsom. So that's what I mean by a young GM. And when it comes to the head coach, um, I mean, the, the thing is, though, like Woody Johnson said, the searches are concurrent because there's going to be a significant amount of competition regarding the head coach. But I think, like you said, ideally, we do need to hire that GM first because uh, they have to be on the same track. And I think it would be a mistake if the head coach is, in fact, hired before the general manager. But I really want to emphasize the point of hiring a young and up-and-comer. Um, I think the majority of candidates, except one or two, uh, have uh, are the are that, and I really want to see someone hire like that. My pers- personally, my favorite um, from the names right now mentioned. I know we just got John Idzik from Seattle, but he's the complete opposite of a uh, Trent Clincher uh, from Seattle, who's actually in the personnel department and was act- and he was really. John Schneider is around that right-hand man, not John Idzik. So I really have no figures going back to Seattle. Um, so he's definitely one of the guys I'm looking at. And also uh, I'd like to see them tap into Duke Tobin. I know that he has name hasn't surfaced yet, but, you know, he helped um, create so much talent on Cincinnati. So I'd really love to see him get an interview as well. But obviously his name hasn't been mentioned yet. Yeah, what, now who is your who was on your list in terms of coaches? I mean, the hot name. I mean, first of all, I agree about DaCosta. DaCosta is like an ideal where you're like, wow, this guy's you know he's turned down almost every opportunity he's had, and you know so he is a pipe dream. I agree with you on that. The gentleman from Seattle, I agree. He is actually he actually is John Snyder's right hand man as opposed to John. He's who we should have hired two years ago. He's who we should have hired two years ago. I agree, but now who who is the, the head coach? I mean, Dan Quinn's a popular name. You're hearing, I mean, somebody from Mike Shanahan, which I completely don't agree with. Who, like, who are, who's the name that's sticking out for you as a head coach? Well, I think that kind of depends on the general manager now, does it? So it's kind of difficult to say, but from the list of people that we mentioned, uh, I'd say Dan Quint's at the top of my list. But I'm a bit surprised that Adam Gase hasn't gotten a request for an interview yet. Adam Gase, I understand, works with Peyton Manning, and people are afraid that he is a product uh, of Peyton Manning. But, but people forget quite often is that when Tim Tebow was in Denver – Adam Gase is one of the people that actually designed the offense around Tim Tebow and is the one that helped him, you know, become somewhat successful and actually win a playoff game, uh, I believe it was against Pittsburgh. So uh, I'm, re- I'm pretty surprised that his name hasn't gotten a mention yet. Um, so, and I'm also one of those people that's not about hiring an offensive coach. I think it would be ideal, but you just hire the best candidate regardless of who that is, regardless of it's a Dan Quinn, a Todd Bowles, Whoever, I think you go with the best candidate, but like I said, I think it's, impa- it's imperative and paramount that a general manager is hired first because we don't want to repeat what happened the past two years. 
Yeah, it's a tough sell when you got to inherit a coach. It's definitely a tough sell. Seth, I want to thank you for calling in, man. I appreciate it. And, I mean, the next week or two is going to be very interesting with the New York Jets. I mean, there's a lot of decisions. But the only positive thing I see right now is a comprehensive list and they're doing their due diligence, which is all you could ask at this point. Absolutely. And hopefully Chris and Dyer will be able to give us some sort of update what's going on right now. Um, so I'm looking you forward got to that. Not, taking my call. Thank you, man. You couldn't ask for a better intro than that because now <laughs> – with with the intro like that, Christian Dyer is now joining us. Christian is obviously one of the, the favorite beat writers of the fans. I mean, this guy, not only does he write for Metro New York and Yahoo and CBS Sports New York, I mean, he's the man of the people. So, Christian, this is Tyson with Let's Talk Jets. How you doing, man? Well, now, now I, there's no way that I can possibly top that introduction, guys. I mean, you're supposed to set the bar low so I excel. Now, now I have to actually provide insight and actually break some news while on this broadcast. That's great. Thank, thanks for doing that. <laughs> No pressure, man. No pressure whatsoever. I, I'm enjoying this as my uh, final time on the show, so thank you. <laughs> well, Christian, I guess you were pretty much ahead of the curve with the news that Rex Ryan and John Isaac was going to be fired. What is your? We'll start with John Isaac first. What was your take on on John Isaac being fired? Do you think it was too soon, with only two years and not having a chance to hire a zone head coach? It, it does seem awfully soon when, when you look at everything, but I think John Idzik had a couple missteps. Uh, first and foremost, his draft record. This is a guy who came in, and when he came in late January, two years ago, he used the exact phrase or exact words, lifeline, when describing the draft. And when you refer to the draft as a lifeline, you're going to say this is going to be something that's going to keep our team afloat. And when you look at where the Jets have been uh, the better part of the past 24 months or, or, or 20 months under John Idzik, uh, you can't help but think that this was a team that wasn't even pointed in the direction of having a lifeline be established. 19 draft picks over two years under this man, one player, Sheldon Richardson, who could be considered an impact player. I know this team loved to say that you know five starters from last year's draft class or, or five players from last year's draft class are starting on this team. Well, th- th- that's a quantitative measure. It's not a qualitative measure. Geno Smith, everyone I think can look back and say, probably shouldn't have started. He should have sat a year, learned, and developed. Brian Winters. To, to, to give him some sort of A-plus grade as part of this draft class, uh, you know, again, that was a guy who was probably rushed into service too soon. Tommy Bohannon, a fullback, saying that he's a starter. Well, okay, but he had an awful lot of struggles last year. So uh, by every measure, when you look at this quote-unquote lifeline, John Idzik failed. Four guys didn't make the team last year. Uh, you know, a number of the other ones weren't even active for any games. And while some of them are probably going to be pretty decent players, you look at IK, uh, Dakota Dozier, I think, is someone who's going to be interesting. There were so many misses in terms of the Jalen Saunders and the Will Campbells and so many of the other names that should have been productive players on this team uh, based off of their draft pick status. Uh, I think John Idzik hurt himself more in terms of that regard. It's one thing to have a young team, guys, uh, that, that you can say, okay, is growing, is developing. We see the potential. I think people perhaps look at Tennessee and, and see some of the potential with the young players they have or Oakland. I'm not sure outside of Sheldon Richardson there's anyone uh, on this roster with less than two years of experience that you can actually get excited about long-term being a cornerstone, being a building block of this franchise. So uh, it's it's very early on to get rid of John Idzik. It's been two years. But when you use a term like lifeline, 
to talk about your draft, and then it ends up being a noose around your neck. Uh, I think maybe the decision came at the right time. Yeah, I agree. And the thing was, you know, like you know, even doing this show for the past couple of years, it was like we were we were selling the same thing. Listen, you can build through the draft. But there's a process in place. We understand it. And you try to justify the picks. Like, I was completely against keeping all 12 picks. It was frustrating to me because I wanted to move up, be more aggressive. But everybody's like, you know, I'm like, all right, I understand what he's trying to do. You, we try to justify everything. And as it started to pan out, you're like, man, this, this is awful. And it's like, you know, when, when Jeremiah George gets cut, you know, Jalen Saunders was that. And then it's just like, man, this, this is slowly but surely falling apart. Now, my question for you is this. You know, I like Eric Decker signing. He, he obviously traded for Chris Ivory. What was your take on the Percy Harvin move? Do you think Percy was a desperation move or he kind of fell into his hands and made him look good? Or how did you take the Percy Harvin move? When you look at Percy Harvin and the people I spoke with in the organization about this, they told me that Percy Harvin was, was as much a move about this year as it was going to be about years down the road. They saw Percy Harvin as someone who, who A, Rex Ryan would be able to get the most out of, but B, who could make them a dynamic offense. And the trade that they were able to get for him, and the idea was going to be he settled in here. Uh, if he was to return next year, perhaps get him a more cap-friendly number. I know he has one year left, $10 million next year, but get him at a cap-friendly number, perhaps tie him up for two or three years at a lower number, uh, perhaps a little bit of a, of a higher cap hit in terms of guaranteed money. But to do that, and then you would have someone who, when he's healthy, and that's an awfully big if, guys, but when he's healthy, he's a dynamic player. And there's no denying that Percy Harvin, if used the right way, if he's able to stay on the field, can change an offense, can change a special teams unit, can add that something special that you see in championship teams. And we look back to the Super Bowl last year, and I think yep. that uh, that's what John Idzik was hoping, was that this guy could take this offense to the next level. I don't think it was a bad uh, trade. It was one of those trades where you kind of looked, and if you're John Idzik, you're looking at it from your perspective, you believe your draft classes are going to develop. You drafted these guys for a reason. So maybe you don't need that extra pick or two next year. And if Percy Harvin's healthy, uh, he's still that first-round guy that was taken four or five years ago. So I think it was a reasonable gamble on the part of the Jets. But I also don't think they have to feel like they're tied to this guy long-term. If they can get him for two years at you know seven or $8 million, save a couple million in the cap, I think that's a, a reasonable figure for Percy Harvin moving forward. But if you're sitting there in the number six pick and Amari Cooper's there and Amari Cooper's the top wide receiver in a very weak wide receiver draft class, or at least weaker than last year, I don't think you have to feel that you're married to Percy Harvin. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. If, if Percy Harvin is on the team next year, it's not the worst thing in the world, uh, but certainly I think they've got some flexibility moving forward with him. No, I agree. And like, if you look at it from like, you know, I was trying to be like somewhat objective. It's like, all right, he added Percy Arvin. He added, you know, Eric Decker. Jason Morrow showed something. He was still a little inconsistent and didn't play enough, in my opinion. But you have, you know, you have your tight end. You have receivers. You have, you have a running back. I guess his biggest problem was the secondary, in which we all talked about over and over. What was your take on Revis? I mean, now the stories are coming out that Woody Johnson won back and all this stuff. And what is your – do you think that was Idzik's call or do you think that was Woody Johnson's call? Well, I, I, I would say that the secondary first, to touch on your previous point, uh, secondary first uh, first and foremost was the major failing of John Idzik. That probably more than anything else got him fired. But secondary, uh, or, or second to the secondary, is going to be the offensive line. I mean, this is an offensive line that was getting old. Uh, I think Dalton Freeman, to his credit, filled in rather well the past game and a half. 
for Nick Mangold, but there's not a lot of high-quality depth there. Ode Ibushi still needs to do a lot of work reshaping his body. Uh, he's very good in terms of the run support, but uh, as far as being a pass protector, he's not where he should be. Brian Winters has incredibly short arms to be playing in the interior. Uh, he's a strong player. He's technically strong. Uh, he seems to be a very hard worker when you talk to the players in the locker room. They cite him as a guy who puts in the necessary effort. Uh, he, he, he likes to play physically, but he's not a great offensive lineman. So you, you, you need to get that next wave of guys who are going to be ready to step up when DeBrickashaw retires in a couple of years or moves on. And Bruno Giacomini was not the best of free agent signings that we've seen around here. Uh, but to touch on uh, on the Darrell Revis issue, you know, now all of a sudden it's John Idzik's fault for not signing Darrell Revis. If Woody Johnson wanted Darrell Revis bad enough, I hate to break it to you, he would have made it happen. He would have said, no, this is the direction we're going to go. And uh, I don't think John Idzik, after an 8-8 eight and eight season a year ago, has the kind of clout to stand up to an owner. And I don't know if there are too many general managers in this league who have that kind of clout. If, if an owner wants a player, well, you're going to go out there and get him, and you're going to try to make the best deal possible for your team. Keep in mind that six months ago, everyone was reporting that you know Woody Johnson was the one who didn't want Darrell Revis here. He, he felt that the bridges were burned. He didn't want anything to do with the player. He felt Revis turned his back on the Jets, uh, choosing the dollar sign green rather than green and white. So now we're hearing a whole different narrative now that John Idzik's out of here. Uh, I tend to believe the earlier ones, which would probably be a bit more accurate when, when you look at the timing of everything, uh, but certainly it fits into the narrative of kicking John Idzik when he's down. Yeah, I, th- I find some of like some of the some of the excuses coming out seem to be kind of convenient, especially when you know when you know Idzik's gone and also Rex Ryan's gone. And, and I guess that's a, the topic we'll cover next is Rex Ryan. I mean, you know they had they had a, a great win to end the season. The players obviously love him, and a, a good portion of the fan base loves Rex for what he's done in the past. He's a likable guy. He's you know he's spirited. He's passionate and all that, but. What was your take on Rex? I mean, I read your articles all the time. You do a great job at Metro New York. You do a great job at Yahoo. I mean, I honestly think you're one of the best writers out there because you always get quality information and not a lot of nonsense. But what was your take on Rex Ryan? Did you want him to stay and kind of have them hire GM for him? or What was your feeling before all this went down? I wish we were on Skype right now so I could see uh, Tyson's head absolutely implode with what I'm going to say, but Rex Ryan should not have been fired, in my opinion. When you look at the job that he did last year, an 8-8 eight and eight record with a team that was, was probably bottom three uh, in the beginning of the year when you looked at absolute talent on the field, to be able to get a 500 record, to me that says he should get two more years to see this thing out. And, and, and this year, a, a bottom five team in terms of talent uh, in the skills position, at least starting off the season. I don't think there are many teams worse at wide receiver, tight end, running back when you look at the whole picture than probably the Jets were. Uh, and then defensively, the way this guy was handicapped, I don't think we can underscore how much a cornerback means to the Jets' 3-4 system, what they ask him to do. Even someone like Antonio Cromartie struggled uh, at times when he was asked to play a certain way that he wasn't used to. Cromartie, as much as he wants to bill himself, it was not a physical cornerback. He was not a press cornerback. And when we saw him be exposed when he didn't play the position the right way, that's what made Darrell Revis 
so valuable those first couple years here in New York. Uh, with all that being said, John Idzig didn't give him that necessary uh, personnel defensively. There, there wasn't good depth at the linebacker position. So when somebody had to come off the field, David Harris for a snap or two, or Demario Davis, they didn't have the linebackers to run the scheme. Calvin Pace, uh, you know, had a great year last year. Yeah, he deserved to come back this year, but there wasn't that next guy up when Calvin Pace begins to show his age. So outside of a defensive line, I don't know if you can say any unit on this team was top 10 in the league in talent. Maybe you can argue running back, uh, but that was really lifted by Chris Ivory's performance. So uh, it's hard for me to say that a, a head coach who was 4-12 and with this inferior talent, and we all saw how inferior it was, by about week seven, week eight, after the San Diego loss, after the Buffalo loss, and another Buffalo loss a few weeks later, we saw how bad this team was. But despite that, guys, uh, you know, seven games this year and seven of their losses by combined 34 points, that, that's less than two field goals uh, difference on average in seven losses. Those were games that the Jets won last year. Uh, they didn't win this year. And to be that close, with the kind of quality or lack thereof they had on the field. Uh, you know what? Maybe it's time for Rex to move on, but it's hard to see it. I, I really think he deserved one more year. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, you, know, you can see both Tyson, sides is of your the story. Head there? Is, is, is your head there, Tyson? Did it implode? <laughs> you know, I like Rex. I, my biggest concern was, you know, if you keep Rex, having a general manager that was willing to inherit him, and then having this every year where it's like, all right, it didn't work out, and next year keep going through it. But I mean, you, you, you don't ever, like you, you don't like, like Rex. You don't like Rex. You like Rex as much as as much as I like Geno Smith. Okay, so we we've also you know you guys have seen my Twitter avatar. You you know uh, you know Christian Dyer hates your Jets quarterback. Whatever. You don't like Rex. You've wanted him out. We've talked at tailgates about it. You know, so I can't use that kind of language. But you don't like Rex. I'm trying to sell things here, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah, you know, but it's. It, it's interesting, like in the fan base, I mean, a lot of people were there was real support from the players were all coming out, but I, you kind of had it, you saw the writing on the wall. I, I think Woody Johnson, I mean, he made the decision now, so it's like, it's interesting to see how it all plays out. So I guess my, my next question for you is, what is your take on, on Ron Wolf and Charlie Castley being in place? For me, I think it's a phenomenal idea, um, because now it's Woody Johnson has football guys helping him make football decisions. Well, I, you know, if Charlie Casserly's in, in charge of the draft, I'm not sure Heath Shuler could be any worse than Geno Smith was at times this year. So, uh, I'm, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm perhaps on board about that. But I think being able to have somebody like a Charlie Casserly, and, and in particular a Ron Wolf, uh, yep. two guys who are going to be very experienced, who know how to build. I mean, you know, when you look at Ron Wolf's pedigree in, in his resume, in particular in Green Bay, heavy on the draft, making the Brett Favre trade, picking up some veterans, getting some you know some superstar guys to come in and buy in to a certain philosophy at the end of the career. Does that sound familiar to the 2009-2010 Jets? I actually think it was. I mean, that was a team that had an awful lot of talent that they brought in through undrafted free agents, through draft picks. They got quality consistently in the draft. And 
if Ron Wolf and, and I think Charlie Casserly, but I think Ron Wolf uh, can kind of lend that sort of credibility and that insight and say, this is someone who can build this way. Ron Wolf coming up uh, from the Oakland Raiders, looking at things through the Al Davis way. And Al Davis loved speed. He he loved aggressiveness. He loved a certain style of play. It was a style of play that we've seen be effective here just a few years ago. I think with those first couple teams that Rex Ryan had. So uh, to me, it's going to be very interesting to see just how much they steady the ship. But I think you have to give an awful lot of credit to Woody Johnson on this one. And I know Woody Johnson gets abused an awful lot on social media and everything else, but he didn't go the Jed Hughes way. He he, he didn't go through a, a consulting firm. He went with football guys. And to Woody Johnson's credit, I think he realized he needed to bring in football guys. And it's something that Dan Leberfeld has been saying for a long time, was saying before the Jets hired John Idzik, who's making this decision? I think Leberfeld's on point with this one. So, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of credit has to go to Woody Johnson to say that. Now, he ultimately has to make the decision, and who else is advising him remains to be seen. Is Ira Axelrod involved? Who else is involved? But Woody Johnson, I think, got it right to get these guys involved very early on. And their background on the NFL Career Advisory Panel, uh, they know the top young candidates. And those are the guys who they're calling right now. No, I agree. I, I, I completely agree with you 100%. And I guess my question is, you know, everybody, you know, we were all going through this. Everybody's like, fire everybody. We want Terry Bradway fired. We want Platt fired. We want everybody fired. But it's not realistic when these guys are already preparing for the draft and a lot of research. Do you think a guy like Bradway, I mean, I, I'm guessing the new general manager is going to interview him, but I guess it's safe to assume he's going to be here at least for this draft, right? Yeah, you would have to think Terry Bradway and Jeff Bauer are going to be here through this draft. And, uh, you know, Terry Bradway is one of those guys, you talk to people walking around the hall and, and, you know, on, on one Jets drive, and, and you say, what do you think of Terry Bradway? The first thing, interestingly enough, is what a great guy he is. And everyone likes Terry. And then the second thing is he always brings an interesting perspective. And, and Terry Bradway has been wrong a couple times in his life. You know, you look at the Vernon oh. Golston decision and, and some of the other picks that they've made and, and, and valuing, uh, you know, Mark Sanchez as highly as they did. But you know, he was one of the guys who was out there pounding the table saying Russell Wilson. And the DeMario Davis pick wasn't a bad one, but uh, certainly going after Russell Wilson and uh, I'm not sure if he would have had as much success here in New York as he has in Seattle. That's a great situation, but it would have solved some of the quarterback uh, situations. And Alshon Jeffries is another one who, who Terry Bradway was very high on before the draft, before the Jets went with Stephen Hill. Uh, again, how different would the team have been if uh, Gino was throwing to Alshon? So I think he brings an awful lot of good value. He's a popular whipping boy uh, around these parts because he's considered a holdover. Former GM, now with Tannenbaum, now with Idzik, now possibly a third guy. And no one has as many lives uh, as Terry Bradway, except perhaps for a cockroach in a nuclear holocaust. So uh, <laughs> I, I understand the disdain for him, but he's a guy who's highly thought of. And I apologize to Terry for comparing him to a cockroach. He's certainly not. But, uh, you know, to, to make my point, I think he brings a lot of value. And you talk with him, you sit next to him watching a college game like I have, he, he He's voluminous in his preparation. He knows the players. He knows the backup players. He knows his stuff. I think there's an awful lot of value for a Terry Bradway uh, in, in this decision process for this draft. And I think moving forward, the Jets will be wise to continue him on in some role. 
So now we have breaking news that Christian Dyer hangs out with Terry Bradway. We've got to make sure we tweet this one out. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. It was very briefly <laughs> next to the game. I was trying to get uh, information from him, but he didn't budge. So that's another positive. He does not. He's not a source. He's not loose lips. Christian, <laughs> uh, are you hearing any names? I mean, like it seems like every 10 minutes new names are coming out who the Jets are interviewing for, like, general manager, head coach. I know that you had news say where Anthony Lynn's going to get a chance to interview for a team. Are there any names that you're hearing that we haven't heard of or guys that you kind of think that would be a good fit for the Jets? Well, I think the interesting one that we haven't heard the name of is Joey Klinkscales uh, with the Oakland Raiders. He's someone who seems to have taken the next step in his career. I think you can make the argument that he had a fairly decent draft. Uh, you know, the past two drafts that he's been involved with in Oakland, uh, you know, he's someone who uh, has a very good player personnel background. We kind of have seen the drafts the past couple of years without a clink scales, and, and all of a sudden you begin to wonder, okay, how much sway did this guy have in the war room? Uh, how many times did he stand up and say, no, we're not drafting this player? Uh, so clink scales is someone to me who, who I hope the Jets would at least kick the tires on. Uh, as far as a general manager role, I think he could bring an awful lot of value. Uh, I think he would be worth a look uh, within the current structure of the team, especially if there is a Bradway who returns to give a little bit of structure. So Clink uh, Scales is someone I haven't heard anything about yet, but it would be interesting to see if he takes that next step forward. If the Jets had kept John Idzik and perhaps reassigned him to cap and administration and things like that, then a clink scales would have made an awful lot of sense. So uh, maybe he's a couple years away, but he's someone whose name wouldn't surprise me. And what about head coaches? I mean, well, actually, before we go back to the general manager thing, I mean, we mentioned, like, Eric DaCosta earlier with the call before you. And it was like, you know, DaCosta is like an ideal. Like, that's swinging for, like, defenses there, in my opinion. But is there any other guys, like, the popular names that you're hearing? We're hearing for everybody from the, the gentleman from the Texans, the guy from Seattle, I mean, the, the guy from Philadelphia. Are there any, like, a name that you're saying, like, wow, like, I could see that being a really good fit, like a young emerging guy that seems popular in the building? Well, DaCosta, I think, would be that guy. And I think you guys summed it up pretty well when you said uh, he would be a home run selection. Certainly he's someone who you know, kind of comes up through that Baltimore tree, who understands the value of the draft, to, who's been involved in that. We heard Woody Johnson say yesterday uh, during his press conference on Monday, I want someone with player personnel background. And DaCosta checks that off. Uh, it's perhaps a little unfortunate that he maybe wouldn't be have been reunited with Rex. It would have been interesting to see uh, how that dynamic would have played out. But he's someone who's who's worked his way up. Um, he's made decisions. He's been in war rooms. He knows how to organize things. And that's a very interesting part of, of, of what the Jets do uh, when they when they will bring in a candidate is they'll ask them, how do you organize your war room? It's such a little thing, but efficiency matters when, when, when you're going through this whole process. So I think uh, DaCosta would certainly be the guy that they would be most interested in seeing and hearing from and, and seeing if he wants to make the trip up I-95. Yeah, I mean, that would be that would be finally some good news with this organization. I know he turned them down last time. And I guess in terms of head coaches, I mean, if you go on social media, I mean, you see Dan Quinn. I mean, if Dan Quinn walked in New York right now, he'd probably get people buying him drinks for weeks because everybody wants him so bad. What's your take on Dan Quinn, and are there any other candidates you think that kind of stick out in your opinion? Yeah, you, you look at Dan Quinn, and you can't help but think, and, and you, you go along with Cable and some of the other names, that, that they've got the requisite experience, that, that it's their time. And the Jets have done overall pretty well with coordinators 
who are ready to take that next step. I, I know that there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, head ringing over, you know, Mangini. But Mangini had a fair amount of success here in New York. He he wasn't the great guy. He wasn't the best fit. But he was able to elevate. And you know, I, I think he perhaps gets a little bit of a raw deal from Jets fans. And certainly Rex, those first couple years, was a guy who came in. And, and coordinators work out well because. Oftentimes they're willing to defer a, a certain amount to a strong general manager. So if you bring in a DaCosta type uh, who who can elevate and take that role, uh, they're they're not so set in their way. So I think Dan Quinn uh, would be a very interesting way for the Jets to go. I know I know it's perhaps not ideal because it's not the offensive guru that everyone wants, but the success of this team that we've seen over the past few years has been defense. When you play good defense in the Northeast and uh, you know, we all get hung up with Tom Brady's numbers, but the Patriots, those first few years when they won the Super Bowl, won it on good defense first, and then it was Tom Brady's secondary. So uh, I think you have to look at kind of the model that we've seen the past few years. Teams from the Northeast who have made playoff pushes, uh, who have made Super Bowl runs. You think about the Steelers. You, you think about the Ravens. You think about the Patriots those early years. Even the Giants uh, twice over the past eight years, it's been defense first. So I wouldn't be opposed to that. I think that's an advantage. I think playing in these conditions, playing the kind of football that that requires, it's got to be defense. So uh, I know there's going to be an awful lot of hand-wringing. We need someone who can develop a quarterback. Worry about the defense first, and that makes an average quarterback look awfully good. Yeah, no doubt. I completely agree with you. And we're talking to Christian Dyer, who's been very kind to give us some time tonight, uh, from Metro New York and from Yahoo. And it's, he, on my last appearance on the show, if I can remind you guys. <laughs> Christian, be, before we let you go, what what is your take? I mean, this is your favorite topic. I know this. That's why I'm making it the last one. What is your take on Geno Smith? I mean, he had an excellent game against the Dolphins, but what is your take on like the feel for him in the locker room? I mean, his development, which. It seems like he had the same kind of – it's not development we all want to see, but do you see any chance where he competes for a job next year? Or it's kind of like he had his chance, you know, he missed a meeting in San Diego, all these things. It's just, it's just not going to work out for him here. Yeah, you have to wonder uh, what is Geno Smith's ceiling going to be. If he can develop some consistency, I think he could be a very average quarterback in the NFL, which is not a bad thing. I think you can win playoff games. Perhaps you can win the Super Bowl with an average quarterback. You know, how many years ago it was when Eli won his first Super Bowl? At that point in his development, I think you could say he was average or slightly above average, and he's taken steps since then, uh, even with some of the struggles over the past couple years. You can win a Super Bowl. You can win playoff games with an average quarterback. Uh, With that being said, I still haven't seen that consistency from him that, that, that you need to be a playoff team let alone a Super Bowl quarterback. He still has trouble reading defenses. His pocket presence isn't great. When he has time, like he did it in particular in that second half against Miami, he can make some great decisions. But how many times have we seen him not make good decisions? He had a solid game week 16 against the New England Patriots, and then all of a sudden one bad decision, and, and you know, the Jets are losing that game. I think as we enter year number three of Geno, guys, We have to get to the point where it's just not enough for him to be a game manager anymore. Uh, You know, and maybe he needs to get to that point. The Jets have been asking him to not lose games now for two years. Now you have to say, can this guy once in a while win us a game? 
He did it on Sunday, so that's encouraging. But can he do it with a, with a, you know a tough blitz in his face? Can he do it with adverse conditions? Can he do it when maybe a number one wide receiver's down or a number two wide receiver's down week in week out? If if I'm the Jets, I certainly think that he has some value. He, he's on a rookie contract, a second round contract. He's not going to be um, you know someone that you need to necessarily cut. He could be a very nice backup, and he could potentially be a starter. But his presence perhaps lets you go out there and gamble. Uh, do you go after a Sam Bradford or, or if a Ryan Mallett becomes available or someone like that, someone who maybe is a little unproven? Does RG3 become available? And you say, well, if it doesn't work out with him, we know Geno can start in this league. I think it gives the Jets some flexibility to roll the dice, to go out there and, and think big. And do I think any of those guys are the answer for this team? No, but if RG3 can recover and, and be 80% as good as he was his rookie year, you, you've got a potential Pro Bowl quarterback. If Ryan Mallett develops like we think he can and can play a full 16 games, you've got a situation where you've got a very nice quarterback who I think is probably top 15, top 16 in the league in the next couple of years. Same thing. Uh, you know, when you look at some of the other names, a, a Bradford type who's injury prone, if something happens to one of these guys, you've still got Geno there. So you don't have to cut ties with him, but it gives you the flex, some flexibility to think big, to take a risk. If it doesn't work out, you got Geno, and you know you, you can ask him to manage some games and perhaps win that way if your defense is strong enough. Yeah, no, I, I definitely. Now, do you think he has like? The respect in the locker room, though, do, do you think? Do you see, like, you know, you see little quote, you see quotes from players. You're like, ah, oh, you, you kind of wonder what, what the feel is, like, the vibe in the locker room is about. You know, is he like a respected leader where the team rallies around him, or were they kind of like, we want Mike Vick to be our guy, and now we got to tolerate Gino? Well, you talk with players in the locker room, and, and they end up saying that, you know, when you talk with them off the record, you, you, you get a chance to see them away from Florham Park. They wanted Michael Vick to have the chance to win the competition. They felt it was never a true competition. I've heard that from you know multiple people around this team that it was never a true competition, and that's part of the reason why I write it. Because when you're John Edzik and you're you know introductory press conference to the media and you use the word computer competition seven times, and then you anoint Geno Smith, a second round pick whose biggest professional accomplishment was going 8-8 eight and eight the year before and throwing uh, you know, significantly more interceptions and touchdowns, and you anoint him the starter over a four-time Pro Bowl quarterback in Michael Vick, that's not competition, and that's going against your very mantra of competition that you said was going to be the benchmark of this team. The, the players on this team weren't opposed to Geno Smith playing. What they were opposed to is the fact that every other position on the field uh, was basically open for competition, save one or two where, like Nick Mangold, you know he's going to be your starter, or DeBricka Shaw and, and some other ones where you know those guys were there and, and they were going to be at a certain level. But Geno's not at that level. He's not a Pro Bowl guy. I don't even know if he's shown flashes of being a Pro Bowl guy with all due respect to him. So I think you had to look and say – Michael Vick, the locker room wanted Michael Vick to be in the mix. They wanted him to get a chance. And then, you know, he was never given that chance. And there was a sense from at least one player I spoke with that if it was a true open quarterback competition, Michael Vick would have won it. He did very well with the second team, but Gino was anointed and kind of pushed into this starting role. And it's unfortunate because some of those early games – when the Jets were going 1-3, 1-4, 1-5, some of those games were there for the taking if you had a steady hand under center. 
Yeah, no, they were. That, that was the most frustrating aspect of it. And it was like you, as the games go by, the season starts going by, and you're like, man, this is, now it's a lost season, and there's not really much development, not much improvement. It's just but let's go trade for Percy Harvin. <laughs> yeah, after the fact. <laughs> yeah, you know, Christian, it's, first of all, I want to thank you very much for joining us tonight. I mean, it, you're a fountain of knowledge, obviously, but you always provide good insight, and it's, it's fair insight on both sides. You don't play any favorites, and, uh, except for Rex Ryan, but that's, that's understandable. <laughs> well, you know, I just have to balance out the antidote to Rex that you are. I also want to thank Hans for the 19,000 tweets he sent during this radio broadcast. My phone has been <laughs> blowing up. Hans, Hans, I'll get back to you tomorrow, okay? <laughs> Chris, he's he's great go, on Twitter. Um, he's great on Twitter, and I, I enjoy his insight and uh, always good stuff he has. Yeah, he, he's, oh, he, yeah, he's, he's persistent, too. Um, Christian, before we let you go, uh, give everybody your Twitter handle and where they can follow you, like all the, all the, the resources you write for, which is a, it's a very long list. Just go to Hans's timeline and you'll see my Twitter because, like I said, he sent me 19,000 the past 10 minutes. Uh, Hans, I love you. You're great. Have a happy new year. I always appreciate the interaction with you. Uh, my, my Twitter handle now to answer your question is at Christian R. Dyer. That's Christian with a K. And then R. Dyer, D-Y-E-R. I've been the Jets beat reporter for uh, the New York City tabloid Metro New York since 2000, wow, 2008, I guess. So that, that puts me behind only Samini, Leberfeld, and Pelsman uh, in terms of years on the beat. So uh, I've, got, I've got the gray hairs to prove it. <laughs> Christian, thank you very much for your time. Happy New Year, and uh, hopefully talk to you real soon. Hey, Henry Tyson, Happy New Year. And uh, Hans, a very happy New Year to you, too. Talk to you later, Christian. Thank you. Well, everybody, that was our good friend Christian Dyer, who added a tremendous amount of knowledge to the about the Jets, the insides, the outsides of the Jets. And, and you know, right now we'll have a, a good friend of the show, Joe from Long Beach, call uh, chime in. Joe, this is a uh, Christian offered a lot of information, man. It, it was just like about Rex, about Idzik, about the players, about Gino. What were some of your takes on, on Christian's uh, interview? I absolutely agree. Well, first, I want to say hello and thank you to everybody, and thank you for having me on the show again, and happy holidays to everyone, and have a good time with your family, everybody. But to get into it, I agree with pretty much everything he said about the firing of Rex. Um, I wasn't nec- I'm not necessarily happy with it at all. I think everything that he said about John Isaac absolutely destroying his team was correct. Um, Rex was pretty much set up to fail. He went with an 8-8 eight eight team, coached a really bad team a really bad team to an 8-8 eight eight record. If anybody remembers, that was the year that we were supposed to be the worst team in the NFL. Uh, and if you looked at our roster, we were pretty bad, but he got us to an 8-8 eight eight record. John pretty much stripped that team of most of his talent, went out, paid an overrated receiver, and gave it back to him and said, hey, go win with this. <laughs> Nobody would have done that. Um, as he said, the same thing. The secondary was trash. I think there are a lot of wrecks of schemes and game planning. Uh him drawing up game plans pretty much, uh, you know, hit that very well. I think I think he hit a lot of points that that I totally agree with with the firing of Rex. And I think I'm I'm very very nervous going forward uh, with our franchise because I'm not too sure we're going to get a guy in here that's really going to know what he's doing. Yeah, well, see, uh, yeah, I, I agree with him. I, you know, like the, the Rex thing was tough, and you know, Christian was giving me a hard time, but it's it, it, it's tough. I can I yeah. can understand the supporters. I can understand the reasons for keeping him, but at the same time, I can make a very good argument for firing him. I mean, everybody wants to pick on Morning Wake because well, he he hired him. You know, he hired Sperano. Mm-hmm. I mean, he you know he inherited Schottenheimer, so I can't blame him for that. But 
The offense never progressed. Whose fault was that? Was it, it's everybody. We blame Sperano. We blame Morningwig. We blame the next coordinator. So I, I can I can see both cases of Rex. I mean, my my biggest concern was if you did want to keep him, the aftermath of that in terms of hiring another general manager because now it's like now you're inheriting him again, which based on the last GM search was kind of an inhibitor. Like they're like, you know what? We like Rex, but we don't want you know like I'm if I'm gonna run your team, I want my guys, and I don't blame anybody for feeling that way because. You're going to be judged. Your passing and failing is based on what you do. So now you have a guy in place who is respected, but he's not your guy. So if he goes three and thirteen or four and twelve, that's on your that's on your resume. So I can kind of understand it. Um, I mean, do you see that? Do you have that concern that if you did keep him, that you could you know eliminate some GMs from the search because they're not going to want it? You know what I mean? It's it makes it a tough situation once again. Well, I think I, I think either way though, everyone is. You know, jump. Some people are jumping for joy, acting like we're just going to pull a head coach in here in the GM year. I could argue that there's four or five jobs out here that are way more attractive than we are right now without Rex. One is the Bears, the other is the Falcons, the Niners, and you could argue that the Raiders, if they don't uh, hire Tony Serrano, which I hope they don't, they're probably not going to. So you could argue that those jobs, even with the Raiders, in the situation that in, because they have a quarterback now. And they have tons of money, and they have a high draft pick. They're probably more attractive than us. The Bears easily are more attractive than us. They already have a Pro Bowl offense. You either get rid of Jay Cutler, or you get a game manager, and that'll be fine. Somebody's just got to go fix that defense. Same thing with the Falcons. Somebody fix that defense. The Niners are already a great franchise. They have things in place. So what what makes you think that we're just going to go out there and just win? Let's just go get a head coach. Why would they want to come here? When you look at the, the head coaching candidates, the top three guys in my in my mind right now, Todd Bowles, Dan Quinn, and Josh McDaniels are the top three. I don't want to have anything to do with Josh McDaniels. You saw what he did to the Broncos. He blew that team up. He's a nut job. Okay, he's a great offensive coordinator, but he's a nut job. So you look at Dan Quinn and you look at Todd Bowles, why would they come here? When they can go to Atlanta. I'll answer that question. And, you know, I, I agree okay. with you. I, I don't think – I don't think the Jets job is the best job. I mean, I mean San Francisco is a great job to be honest with you. And I mean, they have awesome. been, you know the Bears. The Bears have Cutler, which is a, a big. But here, here's your selling point for the Jets. The Jets is mm-hmm. over forty million dollars in cap space, a, a number six pick in the draft, and there is some talent here. And I think the other thing you're going to get, I think the next general manager is going to get assurances from Woody Johnson that you're going to have three to four years to build this program. I think that when – I mean, because now the thing is when you're coming in here, they're going to say, you know what, the last guy was fired in two years. I'm not taking a job here for two years because this team needs some help. So I think the next general manager is going to get assurances that you got three to four years to build this thing up. We are not going to fire you for two years because, they, you know, that has to be a legitimate concern for any guy coming in this building right now. So that, I think, is a selling point. Cap space, top pick, the top six pick, and you're going to get assurances from Willie Johnson saying, you know what, you're going to be here a while. So, I mean, but as you mentioned, the biggest problem is quarterback, which is a huge issue because there's no instant revenue. Gene Smith's not the answer. You know, Sam Bradford's not the answer. You've got, you got to try to find a, make, like a Band-Aid for next year unless you find a way to get Mario Winston, which is probably not going to happen. So, oh. it, it's a tough spot, Joe. It really is. I, I just, I, I just, I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I, I really do believe we jumped the gun. And Christian Doyer said we should have gave Rex two years or at least another year. That's exactly what I was saying. And I've been saying that since the beginning, almost the middle or towards the end of the year, that we should at least give Rex one more year. Just one more year. Because you know what? I, I want to win. I don't, I don't care about <laughs> this other stuff. I want to win. And I think that with okay. Rex at the helm, even if we would have got a – and I know you want to win too, Tyson. You say it all the time. 
But I think even if we would have gotten a guy that just knows player personnel, that he, we would have been in a better position with Rex than without him and firing him, but we don't have anybody. John should have been gone. John Isaac had to go. That was Everyone knows I am pro John Isaac. I, the hashtag fire John Isaac, I think I started. I mean, <laughs> I could not stand John Isaac. He had to go. But look where we are now. Look where we are. We have nothing. And if you trust Woody Johnson <laughs> with the, the liar that he is and the, 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 the lunatic that he is, then I'm, I feel really sorry for you because I don't trust him at all. I don't trust what well, you're saying. Well, see, now, to do I mean, I'm not like I'm not saying that. Well, you made a couple of good points. I want to touch a couple of things. First <laughs> of all, I agree that there there's no there's no guarantee just because we fired Rex Ryan we're gonna get somebody better than him. I completely agree. Exactly. We could hire we, we could fire Rex Ryan and get a complete clown here who's a bumbling jerk that can't make a decision and then we're screwed another four years. So I agree. But we could also get a guy that could be the same or a little bit better than Rex that can manage the team better. So. There's definitely a legitimate risk in firing Rex because he's a quality coach that's going to get a job very soon. I, I respect that. So I, I have a fair point there. The other thing, though, is, you know, Dan Quinn and these guys, you know, some of these guys have pretty good resumes. And I like, I like they have discipline, they're respected, they, they have a proven NFL history. So I don't, I don't think that's too bad of a thing. You know what I mean? So I, I'm not in complete panic mode about it. I think some quality candidates out there. In terms of general managers, I like the fact, I mean, you don't trust Woody Johnson. You know, I never trusted no. him either. I mean, I mean I've, I've ripped him for God knows how many years on this show and whatever else I write. But, Woody, you know, Ron Wolf in place and Charlie Castle in place. And, Joe, the list of candidates that have already been contacted and put together is impressive. Uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm quite impressed because there's a clear plan in place. It, it's a comprehensive plan because the list is all proven guys. I mean, you got you know the guy from the Texas, the guy from Seattle, the guy from Southern. I mean, mm-hmm. These guys are all you look. You look on you know, like you look online, look up their resume, their background. It's legitimate personnel guys, a proven history. So for me, I understand the the nervousness surrounding Woody Johnson, but you know, for me, Wolf and Castle eliminates a lot of my nervousness about this. So, but but Joe, before before we respond to this, we have a we have a guy dying to talk to us because Christian Jai. He must have drove Christian Dyer crazy recently because it's our good friend. It's, it's our good friend Hans. So Hans, this is this is Joe and Tyson. Let's talk Jets. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good, guys. How are you doing today? Doing great. Well, I just I I wanted to uh, uh, bring to light what I was actually uh, poking him on Twitter about, and then I wanted to put my thoughts and opinions on uh, what you guys were just talking about earlier. Um, he was talking about how uh, uh, Isaac didn't really bring many people aside from one. Obviously, he was citing Sh- Sheldon Richardson. I wanted to point out that Jay Samaro has been just as productive in the amount of stamps that he's gotten, and I, I really, I, I really like what he's been doing so far. And I think he's going to eventually supplant Jeff Cumberland. In fact, I kind of want Cumberland cut because he's useless to me. <laughs> but um. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I just wanted to, I wanted to bring that up. And then, uh, if he, if he wants to give Rex another year, it would stand to be logical that Idzik should have gotten another year too. But you, you, but since you got rid of one, you have to get rid of both. You just cannot saddle a GM with another coach. Woody Johnson admitted as much in yesterday's press conference, something that I very much admire about him. And I, I feel that his, um, I feel that 
his press conference went really well yesterday. I uh, went on Jets Talk Live yesterday, and um, I went on a record saying that I feel that the uh, that that the organization is in capable hands with uh, Cassidy and Wolf, and I, I've, I've, I'm really feeling good about the direction of the franchise. Um, and yeah, as far know, as why would – go ahead. You know, I agree with you on one thing. Like, it, it's like, I mean, Amaro, I mean, Joe and I both said over last, we wanted to see him play more. Too. We thought he was underutilized. Mm-hmm. He, he, was, he yeah. was a little bit inconsistent where he had that one drop every game that just completely pissed you off. But the thing too yes. about with that is the, the thing about is extract. It, it's it, it, there's the potential word is there. It, there's potential to be good, but they either got hurt or they just were. You know, it's just like like IK came on towards the end of the season. Like IK is not going to be a dominant player, but he showed flashes. I mean, these guys. I mean, like even like Marcus Williams. Like Marcus Williams isn't going to be a starting guy, but he's a very good role player. You know, like there's guys that are slowly contributing. That you know maybe next year will be better players, but we put so much pressure on this draft class. And last year's graphic, we wanted immediate results because Johnny that kept telling us that. Like like Christian said before, yeah. that's gonna be your lifeline. We wanted to see our lifeline and they were either hurt or on the bench. So that's what made a frustrating yeah. for everybody. You know, and, and as and as for the Rex and Rex and John Isaac thing, Joe, you can comment on that because that's that's your ball wax right there, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I just I, as far as Rex and I mean as far let me let me hit on the point of John. John had no business then. He was a terrible drafter. Even if we talk about just absolutely blowing up last year's draft, he had 12 draft picks. He didn't keep most of them at all, uh, and he didn't get us any talent when we actually needed it. But let's talk about his – like I said, he's a bad businessman. He doesn't know how to make a deal. So if you can't deal with free agents where you're attempting to con them into coming into the team, then there's no way you can stay as a general manager because when that gets around the league, free agents just aren't going to want to come here. And outside of that, he also – he was like the reverse Mike Tannenbaum. When Mike Tannenbaum used to overpay, he was paying for the top tier guys. I mean, don't it was stupid to overpay as much as he did. He was overpaying. He was overpaying for number one. He was at the he was at the casino pulling the slot. I'm going big or I'm going home. John Isaac was overpaying for second tier guys. Once he whipped on top tier talent, he would overpay for Eric Decker. He would overpay for Piercy Harvin, a guy that he could have had in Deshaun Jackson. He absolutely ignored him, wouldn't bring him in to hopefully the market would die down on him or won't do anything, hold him, try to con him to bring it in, and look what happened. You end up with egg on your face. So that's my thing with John Hintz. As far as, as far as the thing with Rex, I, I think that we had a coach here that you could see when we gave him certain tools and we gave him the tools, he, he was successful. We can talk about all these things about what he is and what he is and he's a QB killer. He's not a Q, necessarily a QB killer. When Mark was here, he gave Mark the best offensive line in the league and he gave him the best running game in the league. No he also gave him a that. wristband. He also exactly. gave him a wristband. <laughs> That's, a wristband is not conducive to developing a good quarterback. Yeah, it may not be. He was a rookie. He was a rookie with a wristband. That's conducive for a rookie. A rookie with a wristband, you read the plays, you get up. But if you look, okay, let's look at Mark now. Mark's the Eagles. He still sucks. And he's an offensive-minded team. Yeah. He still sucks. But yeah. he, hid him, he hid him behind all these things, and, and that just speaks to Rex's, you know, psyche as a coach. The fact that he could take the worst quarterback in the league at that time, because that's who Mark was, maybe whoever was playing in Jacksonville was worse than him, but Mark was probably the one or two worst quarterback in the league. He drug him into the playoffs and drug him to AFC Championship. That's a fact. 
So if you're telling me that he could do this with this game manager and this average offense, even if you look at our defense now today, we have the number, last time I looked before we played the Dolphins, we have the number seven ranked defense in the league. The secondary is trash. There's not many coaches in the league that can do that. And I understand people want to say that he's one-sided, he's a one-sided coach. Let me tell you, there's a whole lot of one-sided coaches in this league. One is named Sean Payton. He's had a trash defense every year that he's been there. He knows nothing about defense, but their offense lights it up. So why is it that he's okay to be there and play? No one's talking about firing him. He got Greg Williams in there. That guy was coaching defense and got him where he needed to be. Give him a coordinator, and we can see that he'll produce. That's what they did. They went and got Sean Payton a coordinator. Why not get him an offensive coordinator? He had to hire Sperano. He had to hire Morning Wig. He wanted Noah Turner. Woody didn't make that happen. And that's another thing I can't stand about Woody either, standing up on that podium, running his mouth about Darrell Reeves, like Christian Doyer said. If he that was that a stuff huge happen, mistake. Huge mistake. If he wanted that stuff to happen, it would have happened. Woody didn't want that to happen. When Woody wanted Tebow here, guess what? Tebow was here. When Woody wanted mm-hmm. Revis gone, guess what? Revis was he gone. He was gone. So, it, that, so that's what I'm saying is, like, I understand that people want Rex gone for whatever reason, right? I get it. But as I told fans that I said on this podcast week after week, be careful what you wish for. And that's where I believe that we are right now. We're in a be careful what you wish for position because I don't believe we're going to get these top guys to come in here. I don't. And I don't believe we're going to get them because, like I told Tyson earlier, there's a lot of jobs that are way more attractive than we are right now. Way more attractive. Well, well when you think about it, need well, when ahead. you think about it, hi, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. I mean, as it as it turned out, Idzik wasn't the man for the job, and and I'm I'm willing to move past that. By the way, a uh, little bit of a misquote on Twitter there. I didn't say I I I agreed with with Christian. I said if you're going to give Rex another year, you got to give Idzik another year also, and. Uh, so I was, but ultimately it it was time for for a fresh start, and we we need to try to go into a new direction. And honestly, I do believe that it, this can be a very attractive place for a new GM and a new head coach because they get to set a new direction for the team. Who wouldn't want a, to be a part of that, especially when you have so much cap room? Yeah, Hans. Uh, Hans, again, that, that's something that I, I was talking to Joe about before. But uh, mm-hmm. Hans, we gotta let you go because we got a bunch of calls in line. But before we do that, give everybody your Twitter handle because you're obviously very active on Twitter. You got us all wound <laughs> up here, and I know Henry's going crazy. So, what, what's your Twitter handle? It is at Look at Hans. And quick message. Ah, oh my God! Quick message to Kristen. <laughs> please DM me. I want to give you my email address because Twitter is an awful form for having a conversation. Exactly. Yes, it is. <laughs> Oz, have a good night, man, and have a happy new year. And you as well, guys. Thank you. Thank you, man. That's our good friend, Hans, who if you, I, I recommend you following him on Twitter. He is very active and very opinionated, like pretty much everybody else on Jets Twitter. Uh, the phone lines are open. We got uh, 929-477-2651. Joe and I would be happy to hear from you. Share your thoughts on Rex, Isaac, GMs, head coaches, Gino, whatever you want. We've got a lot to talk about. Uh, so right now we'll go to Jim. Um, he looks one jet drive, which is an interesting topic. Um, Jim, this is Joe and Tyson. Let's talk jets. I think you want to talk about the GM search. Hi, guys. I've never heard a show that I had nothing to disagree with on. <laughs> the, only thing that we, uh, the only thing we didn't get is uh, Calvin Pryor using his arms to actually tackle someone. <laughs> Yeah, well, that, I don't understand. Yeah, 
he's had he's had a he's had a tough go of it, and hopefully the new the new coach can maximize his talent, maybe in a different system, maybe with a better secondary around him. You know, if you heard um, Johnson's speech the other night, he said that he too, along with all of us, was in, uh, half the calls by Morningwood were a mystery to him. He couldn't understand everything when things started working. He would go away from them. I, I just don't yeah, understand Marty, things he did. This, this, this show, we, we've talked about Marty for about nine, ten weeks now where the play calling was baffling. It made no sense. Mm-hmm. He'd go away from the hot hand, which would drive us insane. I mean, that that was one of the positives of, of the new movement is no more Wildcat, which is a blessing in disguise. No more two quarterbacks in the field at the same time, which drove me completely insane. It's that's the, If you're looking for a positive, Joe, I think you'd agree that Morningwood and the gimmick offense and all that nonsense is finally gone, which – it's it got ridiculous at some point. The only time that worked was with Brad Smith because he was a former quarterback. So, and we got lucky with yeah. it then. So, Jim, who are you looking for? I mean, right now, Woody Johnson. It looked like, the, to his credit and to the Jets' credit, they have a comprehensive search going on right now. I mean, there's a very a quality list being put together of guys they're contacting and they're interviewing. Is there anybody that sticks out to you? Somebody you want to hire or a head coach that kind of sticks out to you? Ozzie Newsom has got a headlock on Eric DaCosta, and that's exactly who the Jets need right now. There's $41 million open. DaCosta has come from that group of the early 1990 Cleveland Browns with Belichick, Pioli, Eric Mangini. They all came. I mean, Mangini was a ball boy for the Browns back in those days. They all yep. came up in that group. DaCosta has been through every step of the process. And he's sitting there waiting for Ozzie Newsom to die. That's not going to happen. Ozzie said he's not retiring anytime soon. I, this is actually an open slate right now because for the first time I heard Woody say that even Terry Bradway can be thrown out, which is a blessing. Yeah, no, it, it, it's true. It's you know it, that's what I think one of the benefits uh, of this search is that Wolf and Castle are kind of guiding Woody Johnson, saying you know if you want to get this candidate. This needs to change. If you want to attract this guy, this needs to change. And those are things that didn't happen in the past. That's a positive thing. And, and I agree with you. I mean, DaCosta, is, that's the home run. I mean, you hit that, I mean, we start celebrating because the guy's got, I mean, Joe, I think you'd agree, a proven NFL resume. He's respected Absolutely. everywhere. He's constantly turning down jobs. There's a ridiculous demand for him. So they pull that off. I mean, there's, I mean, that's, that's the big move, the power move that everybody's been waiting for. But if you don't do that, I think there's still other qualified candidates out there. So, I mean, Jim, I guess your take is so far, are you are you slightly encouraged with the process so far or no? I didn't. I've got to say I agree with Christian Dyer. I, I think Rex Ryan got screwed royally on this deal with, uh, with Idzik. I mean, the man couldn't even hold a press conference, let alone pick a player out of a, out of a draft. So I'm not even going to get into that. Everybody has slammed him, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, if Rex had a competent GM there, this whole, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now because we would have mm-hmm. had players out there. But uh, we all know we need offensive tackles, we need a quarterback, and they re-signed Matt, Matt Sims. Uh, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> Who knows what yeah. they're doing well, with Vic? Well, Jim, we all, I want to thank you for calling in. We definitely appreciate it. Hopefully you join in again. We, we, try, we do this every Tuesday night at 8 o'clock, and, we try to get in all kinds of special guests, reporters, you know, beat writers, you know, players. So I hope you enjoy the show, man. All right, guys. Have a good night. You too. Thank you. You know, Joe, the interesting, Joe, is that 
you know, a lot of people are supporting Rex, and, you know, Ibbitt's getting hammered, and rightfully so, because, you know, Rex didn't get the guys he needed. And I respect that. I understand that. I mean, I'm, I'm not – I mean, I hope people understand that I like to play devil's advocate. I'm not a Rex hater. I mean, we all respect him. We respect him as a man. We respect him as a coach. But at sometimes he's not perfect either. I mean, it's not, let's not make him Lombardi where he's won five Super Bowls and we're just writing him off now either. But, you know what I mean? It's like I understand, I understand respect the Rex supporters, but me personally – I'm ready for a change. I like the, I think I like the guy get a guy that can manage the entire team. You know, and, and the guy like, you know, on Twitter, Joe, Dan Quinn is such a popular name. And and, and if you ask people and you read things on and it's like he's got he's he's experienced, he's professional, mm-hmm. he's got discipline, he's got a tremendous background, he's a Jersey guy. You know, there's a lot of things to like about him. But is there anybody else that like for me, Mike Shanahan's a no. A a bona fide absolutely no thank you. I would I would be pissed. Greg Schiano is a no. I mean, what do you think about a guy like Adam Gaze? And, and the, the, my concern is, I'll even tell you my, my concern to begin with. I think he's an offensive genius. I respect that. Does he have Does he have the ability to manage an entire team, put together a defensive staff, work with special teams? That that's my personal concern. I mean, I think he's a little bit young. I think I think it's almost too soon for him. But what's your take on Adam Gaze? I I had the kind of the same the same. Uh, kind of thought about him. I also wonder, and uh, Tristan Doyer spoke to this. I had a couple of things I wanted to see about you spoke to this as well. You know, everyone's saying that the offense really just looks good because Peyton's there, but he put something together for Tebow. But I don't, yep. I don't necessarily know, like you said, if he can manage an entire team. Uh, a, a coordinator that I looked at is, is, is Daryl Bevel. That's a guy that I looked at. If we don't get Dan Quinn, maybe – it's just like we're being Seahawks East or something, but we're looking at maybe uh, Daryl Bevel, seeing if he could come in and, and bring him in. I, I think he's one of the uh, top coaching candidates as well, but I don't know what that would do about Piercy. And also bringing Dan Quinn, I wonder what that would do with Piercy as well. Um, top goals, like I well, said, that's is a, another and guy. That, and, that's, and that's a positive. I think that's a yeah. positive, though. That, that's, a, that's a selling. Like the one thing is, I mean, right now, to be completely honest, Every coordinator, every pro personnel guy, as they're an unknown as a general manager, as a head coach. We have absolutely no idea. Mm-hmm. So we, we, can, we can give all these names, Dan Quinn and whoever, Kyle Shanahan mm-hmm. and whoever guy we want to mention. They're unknown. We have absolutely no idea what they're going to do. And these pro personnel guys, like even DaCosta, he has the, a, a ridiculously great resume. He's an unknown as a general manager. We have no idea when the spotlight's on him as a general manager in the New York market how he's going to perform. So we we just don't know, you know what I mean? So it's it, it's yeah. fun to talk about, but in theory, we really we really have no clue, man. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's why, like I said, it was it was I'm just so so afraid and nervous uh, for our general manager candidates. I think there's a couple guys that I I like that I don't think are being talked about at all. There's a guy named Duke Tobin uh, for the Cincinnati Bengals. He's a guy yep, that is kind good. of a player personnel guy. And he stocked a lot of talent with the Bengals. The Bengals are talented. You know, Andy Dalton sucks, but the Bengals are fairly talented. And he's been able to get a lot of talent on that roster, especially on the defensive side, too, and put together a lot of teams, a lot of cheap teams that were pretty solid. Um, there's also a guy, Elliot Wolf, another guy that works for the, uh, yep, the Green Bay Packers. He's director there for yep. personnel, too. I think that he's solid as well. I, I, there's some guys out there, but I don't know, like I said, if they'll come here. Um, but you know, like you said, with the lights, the New York market, they're, they're going to be all over you. And, and that's where I feel like we may have made a mistake here because I feel like in the next three years, 
If we get a guy and the media's on top of you here and everybody's on top of you here, and if you don't win in those first three years, I don't care what Woody tells you, because he might have told John Isaac the exact same thing. Your job could be on the line because, as we yeah, said, when you don't I, win I, here, oh, I'm sorry. You don't no, I, I, I'm, I'm just going to – I'm going to – I respect your viewpoint. I'm going to 1,000% disagree with you. And, I, and my point okay. – we'll, we have a couple callers online. We'll get to you right now, but it's, it's $40 million in cap space a number six pick in the draft, and mm-hmm. I, I honestly, I think that you know, Wolf and Cashley told Woody, the only way you're going to sell this job is somebody saying you're going to have three or, four, three or four years to rebuild this team or work this team or make your magic because you got to overcome that two-year stigma with John Hinton. You have to. That, that's got to be yeah. the number one concern if you're DaCosta, if you're Tobin, which is a very good call on Tobin because the Bengals are loaded with talent, and the guy from the Texans, too, is, is a, a quality candidate, too, but it's you mm-hmm. got to give them assurances because how else do you overcome it? it it's got to be a legitimate concern. Man, I'm, I'm telling you, if, if you don't win, it's not like we're totally void of talent. There are some things you have to rebuild, like our secondary and our offensive line. But I'm, I'm telling you, three years from now, two years from now, you get a guy – or three years from now, actually. I'm telling you, if he's not at least looking decent at 500 or above 500, you're going to hear the rumblings. You're going to hear them. I'm telling you. You can disagree, but, but you know I'm what? telling you, you're going to hear the rumblings. But you know what? You know what? You know how to get rid of those rumblings, to be completely honest with you? You have a firm general manager, you have a firm head coach, and you have a firm owner that, that squashes mm-hmm. the notion of somebody getting fired. Like we like, to, like, we like to hate on the Giants, things like that, or even like the Steelers. When times get tough, they stick by their coaches. They don't say, you know what? Oh, screw this. This guy's fired. You stick by your coach. If you make the decision that you want this guy, you're going to stick by him for three years. You're making a quality hire, and you support him. You don't hide behind your your Johnson & Johnson towel. You don't hide behind things. You come out <laughs> to the forefront and say, listen, this is my coach. This is my guy. He's not going anywhere. We're on the right path, and this is what we're going to do. You know, no more just, you know, no more waffling, no more screwing around. You know, and be, be a presence, and that should be the general manager. Like, and it's excuse this awful press conference. I think if he came out and was pissed off and punching things, I think everybody would have loved him, and he would have gotten a break. But he was a babbling idiot, and it cost them. So, um, with that being said, we're going to bring on. Yeah, our phone lines are jumping here. Um, we're going to bring on our good friend, our good friend Hank from Pennsylvania. Who Hank is as diehard a fan as it gets. Hank, this is uh, Joe and Tyson. Let's talk Jets. How you doing, man? Well, I'm doing great today. I was doing even better yesterday when I found out Rex and Idzik were out the door. I mean, this is this has been two years coming, man. He should have been gone at the end of 2012 with that debacle. But you know, we yeah. kept him around another year, and the guys played for him, which guys will do. And then you know, on Sunday, you know, just like you know, you're in seventh grade, and you know you're gonna fail. So you know, the last week of school, you want to work a little bit, show off in front of your teachers, and win. You know, that's what he did. They won the game against Miami. Big deal. Miami stinks, and. You know, he got fired, which he should have. And hopefully we get a guy in here, you know, like a Gary Kubiak. I like him. You know, he he won down there in Texas. And he had had a a bad year. But you know what? I believe in him. So bring him in. Well, Hank, I mean, before before we do that, and Kubiak's a name that's been mentioned before, and, you know, people like people hate to mention his name, like, oh, he, things didn't end well with him in Houston, but that could be said for a lot of first-time coaches where things don't end well or mm-hmm. second-time coaches, even that. Who do you like as a general manager? Are there any guys that are sticking out? I mean, I think Woody Johnson right now is taking the perfect approach where he's like, I want a personnel guy. I want a proven guy, a personal guy, which is 
music to all our ears. But is there a guy that you like as a general manager? I'm sending a plane right down to Baltimore now, and I'm getting to cost on it, and I'm bringing them up here. And, you know, lobster dinners, you know, some sultry women, some booze, whatever it takes for that guy to, you know, to sign the dotted line, you get him in here. And he's been learning under Ozzie Newsom for how long? There are proven winners down there. It's him or bust for me. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I can't argue with that. I mean, there's, and like I said, there's, there's an extensive list that, that seems to be increasing every day, which is a good thing. And I, I think Joe and I both agree that, I mean, it's, if you get him, that's the home run that the Jets have been needed probably for four years now. So, Hank, I mean, thank you for calling in. Happy New Year! And uh, your, so your final, your final prediction for head coach is going to be Gary Kubiak. Uh, or, or Frank Reich, or, or one of these offensive guys. I mean, I like the backup quarterbacks as a, as, a, as a head coach. They've seen how to win. And, you know, those, those are my two guys, or maybe even a Hugh Jackson. I mean, everybody does it. People don't like the retreads. But if you look, you know, Bill Belichick's a retread. Tom Coughlin's a retread. Five Super Bowls between them two guys. Rex Ryan's a retread. <laughs> well, yeah, he will be, but who knows where he's going to be. <laughs> I had to do that for Joe, just just, just, just tweak him a little bit. Hank, <laughs> <laughs> uh. hey, hey, thanks again for calling, man. We appreciate it. Have a happy New Year. Uh, you too, guys. Bye-bye. That's a good friend, Hank, and Joe, I had to do that for you just because, you know. It's, oh. it, it, but, you know, it, it's funny, though. Like, a lot of people, like, you don't want, you know, a retread coach, but you know what? You get a lot of lessons learned. A lot of lessons mm-hmm. learned when you're first time. You know, like with Mangini, I'm sure his first time, then he bombed in Cleveland, but now he's getting, you may get a chance to the Raiders. These guys, if you're a smart head coach, you learn from it, you study your mistakes, and you improve. I mean, I'm sure Rex Ryan, when he goes to the 49ers or the Falcons or wherever he goes, he's going to change his ways a little bit, maybe on offense, maybe on special teams. He's going to apply his lessons learned. He's probably going to be a better football coach. I mean, don't you think? Absolutely. Um, I, I don't know if I said it earlier, but I really think that Rex will probably end up going to the Raiders. I really, really do. And I think that if he does go there, he he can make the Raiders a very legitimate team. They already have, you know, an offensive coordinator in place and a quarterback in place, and that offense is okay. That's the defense. That's the issue. And so if he can go there, I, I really think that he can make a change there. But like you said, the, the Falcons would be a, a great place for him too. And uh, you know, learning is his first job here. You know, some of the things that he may have made mistakes here, uh, you know, he'll definitely be in tune with. It might change. This could, it could really only get better for a, uh, for a coach like Rex in this league because I really do believe that he belongs here, and I think he's going to win. Uh, if he goes to the right team soon enough, he'll definitely win a big one, really. Yeah, I mean, I like uh, my my opinion, my my choice for Rex is, is Chicago, just because I would love to see him mm. with that fan base. He'd be an absolute rock star in Chicago. They would the yeah. cold weather, the physical. I mean, you could see him all fired up. I think that'd be a great fit for Rex. But Joe, we have a very good friend of the show on this guy right here that we're adding on right now is a Twitter legend. I mean, this guy talks to who's who of Jet fans on Twitter. This guy is controversial, and this guy is awful at beer pong. Jude, this is Joe Tyson. What's up, man? How are you, Doug Schooling? How are you, What's doing, up, Jude? Jude? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing well, man. Uh, What's up? Oh, I just wanted to say, well, first of all, I'm glad they fired Idzik. First of all, I mean, yeah, he can just go. He 
Mm-hmm. He didn't foster a connection with the team. He wasn't a leader. It's just, yeah, no. He can go. As for Rex, it's sad that he has to go. I wish he could have done well here, but, I mean, two months around him changed, and he still hasn't adapted. So I think it's best for him to go, and I really do hope he succeeds elsewhere. I think Chicago would be a great place for him with Buddy, I mean, Buddy Ryan coach that he, If he does something that he'd be a legend for life. So Chicago would be a good place. Atlanta, eh. There's just something about it, and the GM, I don't know, yeah. Sure, no arguments here. Now, there's there's been a lot of names mentioned, you know, within the last two days about, well, not last day, I'm sorry, for who the Jets and, and their search. I mean, there's some big names like Takasa, there's some names like, you know, Mueller from Philadelphia. There's, there's all kinds of guys. Is there anybody that sticks out for you as a GM and a coach? Uh, as a coach, I would like... Either Kyle Shanahan, Gary Kubiak, or Dan Quinn. Can I ask and why you point... like Kyle Shanahan? Wait, wait, hold on. Before, I'm not letting you go, man. This, this, yeah, this show is, dude, we don't let, we don't let nothing slide on this show. What do you like about, what do you like about Kyle Shanahan? I'm, I'm curious to hear your take on, on him. Well, the big thing is, he's done, he did a fairly decent job in Houston, but the biggest thing was with Browns. I mean, he got blood from the stone with Brian Hoyer and Johnny Manziel and all of those retreads over there. And then Washington, he had to deal with a lot of crap from his father acting stupid, Daniel Snyder acting stupid. And RG3 had a very good season in 2012. 2013, he did the best he could. So, And Kirk Cousins looked better with Kyle Shanahan than he did with Jay Gruden, in my opinion. So he's someone worth considering. Okay, and then now you go – now, Dan Quinn, I know that's that's a hot name. I mean, I think every Jet fan that's that's actively involved in following this team has probably researched his resume. And the only thing is he's a defensive coach, which for me, I don't mind that because as long as he can manage an entire team, I don't care what his background is. What's your take on Dan Quinn? I think Dan Quinn would be a decent option. I just caution. There are a lot of people on Twitter who's like, oh, my goodness, Dan Quinn. And they have to realize, I mean, the big thing is, can he manage a full team? Which is why I also like Kubiak. Can he manage a full team? Would he be able to hire a good offensive guy? Some people are even questioning whether or not his talent is due to because of the fact that he has pretty much all pros on every person on Seattle's defense. So there's a lot of fair questions for Dan Quinn as well. Not to, not to say that I don't like him, but I don't think he's like a slam dunk number one candidate that many people think he is. So who's your I mean who's your slam dunk candidate right now as a head coach? Do you see one guy that's like if you got if they just got him for 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 GM and for head coach, is there a guy like I'm I'm guessing you're gonna say the cost for GM, is there a, a head coach that would be the Jets guy and be like, you know what, I feel really good about this hire? Uh that's a good question. <laughs> I wouldn't say like really good, I would say I feel content and that would be the guy if I mentioned plus both as well. As for GM I know we're interested in, I can't pronounce it, in Kirchner from Seattle. I don't know why they would have one of another guy from Seattle, but eh. Kirchner, DeCosta. CM's hard because you don't really know much about them, but once we hire him, you look at his resume and see, and I'll judge from there. That's what I would do for GM. But for a head coach, definitely those guys I mentioned. And my, my last question for you, and, and it's, this is a little bit out of, the, out of our conversation, but what is your take on Percy Harvin? I mean, Percy Harvin, he ended the season, he didn't play the last game because he was hurt. I mean, he's due $10 million. What do you do with him? Do you Did you see enough that you let him play out the $10 million for the next year and don't try to restructure? Or do you give him an ultimatum where it's like, hey, man, you either restructure or you're out of here? What do you do with Percy Harvin? 
I think you just have to give him an ultimatum, to be honest, only because of his injury concerns and everything. And the whole Percy Harvin trade is a very good player, but it was, in retrospect, with a desperation move by it to win over the fans. So you have to take that into account as well. So we structure him for certain. And if not, he can go. Hopefully, we can find someone else in free agency. Tory Smith. I mean, Tory Smith's nowhere. I mean, you know what I'm saying. No, oh, there's some there's some big names out there. Tory Smith, Demarius Thomas. I mean, there, there's some names out there that that could be available if they don't get franchised, whatever else. So, Jude, yeah. it was great talking to you, man. Um, thank you for calling in. Have a happy New Year. And do you want any you want any parting shots to all your fans out there? Do you want to give them your Twitter handle? <laughs> I don't think they want my Twitter handle, but it's true. J u d e t r u t h. I only tweet a lot this week because I'm on vacation and I'm in a small town. So, yeah, <laughs> like, I, I'm not the big rock star like Drew. No one's going to agree with me and retweet me like 400 times, but I try to do my best on here. Hey, man, so, as long as you stick, stick, stick to your own opinions, man, you'll be fine. Don't worry. I always enjoy reading your tweets, man. <laughs> Thank you very much. You, <laughs> you all have a good day now. Take care, Drew. Yeah, have a good day, Drew. You know, and it, it's... Joe, it's, it's interesting because everybody has opinions. And, you know, he mentioned Kyle Shanahan, which, you know, it's like, you know, like you could tell me Kyle Shanahan, I'd be like, no, and tell you Kyle Shanahan, yeah. you could say yes. You know, it's just. No. It's going to be. Yeah, I, I don't want nothing to do with him. But, <laughs> no. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, but, you know, it, but it's interesting, though, because, you know, you'll see heated debates on social media where people get animated about, like, the Dan Quinn's the best guy for his team or the Brian Gaines the best for manager for his team. And it's like it, they're all unknowns. I mean, you're hoping. You're hoping that it's a comprehensive search with qualified guys asking the right questions. And, and we get the right guy. You know, it's like because then you say you get your GM, you get your head coach. Dan Quinn could be a great head coach. He's going to cover the, the defense. What if he hires an awful offensive coordinator? We're, you know, it's like there's so many pieces that had to fall in place throughout this process. And, and it's just it, – it's going to be interesting. It's fascinating, actually, to watch how it works. And the one thing that, you know, Christian Dyer touched on, which, I, you know, I don't think many people realize, is that Bradway's not going anywhere soon. Bradway's going to oh. be with this team. Bauer's going to be with this team until at least this draft. I mean, you can't like, – like, we like we always said the last three weeks, fire everybody. Fire everybody, clean house, water boys, flight crew, everybody. That's what we wanted to do. But in reality, you can't do that. You can get rid of your general manager. You can get rid of your head coach. Fire all the coordinators, but the fact of the matter is, your personnel staff—a good portion—are still going to be here because they have to. Because you need guys in place that are already studying film, have reports on players, and they have to make an educated decision based on those reports. I mean, don't you agree, Joe? It's like you want the change to happen, but when it comes to pro personnel, it's going to take a good eight months for that to happen. Absolutely, and that—that that was one of the reasons why I thought Bradway should have been fired a long time ago. I mean, this is a guy that had a first-round grade. You know, the, that whole scouting department should have been cleaned out. They had a first-round grade on Stephen Hill. Like, this, this is ridiculous, you know. And, and like you said, he's, he's going to be around. There's no, you know, getting rid of him because he's going to be involved in this year's draft as well, and that's what makes me nervous too because here's a guy that, you know, had grades on these guys and, you know, just all those John Isaac drafts he was a part of and, He's still here, and the draft has been a huge problem for us. We haven't been able to get enough talent through the draft, and that's why our team looks the way it looks. So it's like, here we go. We have another guy here, and, you know, that should have been gone, but he's going to be kept on board for how, who knows how long because we just can't get rid of him. And as far as the uh, the coaching search, like I said uh, before, we could end up with Dan Quinn, and he could be 
a defensive guy and not know, you know, how to, how to do offense. <laughs> Literally, we see in the same situation that we gave Rex. But when you look at a lot of these guys' uh, backgrounds and their records and you look at their resumes, that's what kind of weeds out, the, you know, the good guys from the bad guys, or the guys that we believe can actually lead a team from the guys that can't. Um, and, and I think we, we really have to get a GM in place first. And, you know, once that goes, then I think we should get our head coach. And, and that's the way I think it should work because if we end up signing a coach and then battling him with a GM or – you know, the other way around, it's just not going to work. If we're going to clean slate and go, then let's let's do it correctly. Let's do it right and and, and be done with it. No, I agree. And and supposedly, I mean, I read I read some reports today that when they're when they're contacting general managers and getting ready to interviewing them, they're going to ask for their wish list of head coaches, which I think is a great idea. Mm-hmm. So if you hire Kirshner, you know, it'd be funny if they hire Kirshner from Seattle and Dan Quinn's Mountain is listening. Mm-hmm. That'd be kind of interesting, wouldn't it? So. I mean, for me, that 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 pairing is like an is an obvious choice because there's already chemistry there. They work together, they have a working relationship, and that's it makes your transition a little bit easier. So there's not there's familiarity, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's I I agree with you 100 percent where I prefer to have a general manager in place before the head coach because you want to have that guy involved in the decision making process. So I mean, I understand that there's there's a you know there's a need to make a sense of urgency, which is fine, but you know, have have a plan in place. Okay, you're going to identify the guy for the next week. You're already going to have his wish list of who he wants. Find those guys and contact them. Start interviewing them. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's got to be. It's going to be kind of like a, it's a it's a crazy process. But you want the general manager in place first because you don't want, like you said, you don't want to have a head coach that you like, and then the general manager's like, no, I don't like that guy, and then you're right back to where we were with, with Idzik and Rex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, and and I just. I'm just hoping that it, that we get the guy in here that we need to get in here. I, I, I remember the coaching search when we fired Mangini, and it was just a disaster. It was really just a disaster. And I remember after we fired Tannenbaum, how hard it was to get a GM in here. We ended up with Hizik out of nowhere. and He wasn't on anybody's radar. So I just, I'm just i just hoping that, like I said, I, I don't trust Woody, but I'm just hoping that Castellan will make, you know, go out, make him make the right decision and stay in his ear until he does. Because even at that press conference, it didn't even sound like he really knew what he was talking about. I just, I just want I, I'm putting my faith in Castley and I'm putting my faith in Wolf because that, those are the only guys I can put my faith in to, you know, to fix what's broken. Please just fix my team. Yeah, and, and the thing, no, I agree. And the thing is too is you know we I've gotten some feedback, but like, how do you go back to Seattle? Well, I can tell you why yeah. Seattle because John, it's like, and this is you know the, the panda who, who's usually on the show is. His thing was John Isaac was the guy, the coffee guy. They got the coffee, you know, they got the coffee for the guy making the decision. Well, Kirshner made the decision. Kirshner is John Snyder's right hand guy. You can't dispute it. Exactly. He's involved in personnel. Isaac was a cap guy that tried to sell us on personnel background, which he didn't really. He had, but it wasn't significant enough. This you know, Kirshner, he's legitimate, so you can't really discount that. And I, I guess when you're looking at general managers, you know, the one thing I always try to look at are potential general managers is. The teams are coming from, and you mentioned Tobin, like the, the Bengals, the Texans, the Ravens, teams that have a lot of depth, they have a lot of talent, and mm-hmm. they acquire it through the draft. And that, even the Packers, like, you made a great call at Wolf, dude, and it's, it's something that mm-hmm. I read about, and I'm like, you know, the Packers organization, they build through the draft. They, you know, they keep their players. They draft well, and they keep their players, and it's not very often they go out and, and sign free agents. Well, they do, it's a splash, but, I mean, Wolf is a tremendous call. I think that's a very good point, and, I mean, I'm sure he did some research on it as well. It's, it's a, he's a very interesting 
figure, especially when you consider Ron Wolf's involved in the process. Yeah, I, and that's that's why I like him. Um, like you said, they draft well, they do everything well. Um, um, they draft well, they do everything well, and they scout well. And I think that if, if that's exactly what we need, and a guy that, like you said, they keep their players, they keep guys here, they don't, you know, they don't whiff on picks, they don't do anything like that, and that's what we need in here. So if if that's a guy that's out there that's available that we can bring in here, bring him in here. He's got a, a proven track record of knowing what he's doing in the draft, a guy that's, you know, like you said, been associated not just with that but winning as well. We want a guy that brings in an attitude from a winning franchise. Bring him in here, and he'll change the attitude of our front office as well. That's another thing I don't think we look at when we when we trade for players, when we sign players. When we, even sometimes when we draft guys, we don't always look for high-character guys all the time in different aspects of what's going on, and that's what I think we need to bring in high-character guys that know what they're doing, that have had success, and have a proven track record. And those two guys, Tobin and Wolf, the two guys, those are guys that have proven track records. And they're also solidly good with the cap as well. Well, and that's the thing. Like, people used to give Mangini a hard time, but the fact that matters, when he drafted players, they were captains, they were hard workers, they were gym rats, they mm-hmm. were in the film room all the time. And that's the kind of that's the kind of work ethic you need when you want to rebuild a team, especially especially young. When you want to when you want to build young, you want guys that are hungry, motivated, disciplined leaders, and all that. I mean, that's just what you need. But Joe, before we wrap things up, I, I just want to play something just because you know it's a it's a holiday spirit and it's college football <laughs> season and something happened today. Oh, You know I had to do something, man, because when, when Notre Dame, when they when they actually make a field goal and win a game, how can I not be happy about it? You know what? You have a great time, all right? You have a great time with your Notre Dame. They're garbage. I don't care about nothing about you. It's not going to be about Notre Dame. Play your, play your little anthem. I want to throw up. I can't stand anything about Notre Dame. You know, just, just have your time in the sun. Have your time in the sun, Tyson. It'll be over very soon. Joe, Joe, you gotta, you gotta be proud of me though, man. Because I did not once, one time yeah. through an hour and a half show, I didn't mention Brian Kelly at all yet. No, I was surprised. Myself, I was waiting for the other sheet to drop with that. I was, I was waiting for you to say something about Brian Kelly possibly coming here. I know, I know you love him, but I was surprised. You, you definitely show a strength and willpower. Kudos to you, sir. Kudos. Yeah, I, I think the only, the only two coaches that, uh, college coaches that you know. I mean, Ron Pickett, who's always on here, recommended was uh, Gus Malzahn and David Shaw. So, but that yeah. we'll talk about that next week for sure. Joe, uh, first of all, I want to thank you for joining me. You always provide great insight on the Jets, and please give everybody your information, your your Twitter handle, and you, about your uh, YouTube information. Oh yeah, I want to thank you guys for having me on the show as well, and thank you Henry too. He's always a great guy. He's always awesome to me. Uh, my YouTube is Young J Zero Zero. Um, my Twitter is YoungJ000. That's three zeros on Twitter and two zeros on YouTube. You know, just comment, rate, subscribe. Let me know. Troll me on Twitter. I have a lot of people trolling me from time to time. Uh, comment. Let me know what you guys think about the Jets or what you, you know, think about my opinions or, you know, my insight and stuff like that. I just, I love talking Jets, love talking football. Just, you know, let me know. Just hit me up. Follow me. I'll follow back. I just have a great time. And I want to thank you guys again for having me on the show. And thank everyone that called. You guys are awesome, too. 
Yeah, no doubt, man. I mean, thank, thank you to all the callers, and thank you to everybody on Twitter. Thank you to Henry, who deals with everybody on Twitter. I know people get yeah. a little revved up with our comments. We, we say some crazy <laughs> things, and we get a lot of reactions to them, that's for sure. So thank you to Henry. Um, for everybody on Twitter, we will definitely get back to you, you know, after the show. Uh, wishing everybody a happy new year. Joe, definitely have a happy new year for you, man. And ho- hopefully this time next week we may have somebody in place, maybe a general manager. Yeah, hopefully we have something going on. Hopefully it's one of the, the good guys and Woody and Casserly and Wolf get together and make a solid pick because this is, this is vital for this team. We, this is very, very important going forward. No doubt, man. I completely agree with you. Joe, man, have a good night. I'll talk to you next week, brother. All right, same to you guys. Have a happy holiday, too. Peace. Be a pal.